Welcome, friends. Thank you for returning to our Bible study again. We are looking uh, at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. It's the letter we call 1 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 6. Last week, we looked at chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Today, we will pick up in chapter 6 at verse 12. We are continuing to hear the Apostle Paul offer his uh, words of spiritual advice to the church at Corinth. Uh, The church at Corinth was a fairly new Christian community founded by Paul uh, there in the um, south of Greece. So the community is basically Greco-Roman. They came out of the pagan world, not the Jewish world, but out of the pagan world into the Christian faith. So they brought a lot of their pagan personality. They brought a lot of their pagan behavior and their cultural mores with them into the Christian faith, which is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul is having to address many different issues of... Um, of wrongdoing, sexual immorality, particularly in the church at Corinth. Here in chapter 6, we're talking specifically about sexual immorality. He said something at the beginning of chapter 6 about uh, his grave concern that Christians were carrying each other, taking each other to court before secular authorities to settle issues uh, between Christians. He, he was very much opposed to that idea. Uh, he started talking in the latter part of verses 9 and following of chapter 6 about sexual morality. So today's text continues speaking about sexual immorality. The word that Paul uses that gets translated sexual immorality uh, in New Testament English is the word porneia, and it uh, refers to uh, many different types of sexual immorality. It takes you back to Judaism. It takes you back to something like, for instance, Leviticus 18, where uh, the Old Testament talks about the, the different ways people could behave immorally regarding sexuality. And Paul was very much a Jew, as was Jesus a Jew, and uh, their culture was based on the the Jewish faith, and particularly regarding human sexuality uh, was based on the Jewish faith. And when Paul took the Christian faith, uh, this new way of being Jewish, this embracing of the Jewish Messiah, Uh, who came in fulfillment of Jewish prophecy as recorded in Jewish scriptures to the world, he was taking basically a form of Judaism uh, to the Greco-Roman world. And uh, they they did not uh, know Jewish sexual morality. So when Paul is convincing them of uh, the, the way new life in Christ was to be lived out, Uh, It involved uh, an adherence to to Jewish sexual morality. We see that very clearly in the New Testament. They did not do away with Jewish sexual morality when uh, Christ came and, and the people began to embrace Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So let's start at verse 12. He is continuing in his conversation concerning proper sexual behavior. And he begins here in verse 12 by quoting a slogan or a proverb that evidently the Christians in Corinth were quoting to him. 
using this slogan, using this proverb uh, to justify their behavior. The proverb, and uh, the English translation in front of me, puts this proverb in quotation marks so that you will know it when Paul is quoting this Corinthian proverb. The proverb in verse 12 of chapter 6 is this, All things are lawful for me. It's completely understandable that the uh, Christian community there in Corinth began to talk about all things being lawful. To the Christian. We as Christians have great Christian freedom. We're not bound by the Old Testament law. Um, that doesn't mean we totally disregard it. Uh, you notice we're not bound by the Old Testament law. Uh, most of it, we don't have to keep kosher law. We don't have to keep ceremonial law. Uh, we don't have to keep civil law. The moral law of the Old Testament, such as the Ten Commandments, um, pretty clearly is still in play for the Christian community. Uh, but Paul had been speaking to the new Christians there in Corinth about some law was not binding on them and some law was. Well, evidently all they heard was that the law was not binding on them, that somehow their Christian freedom, their freedom in Christ because of uh, the Christian teaching on grace, being saved by grace, became in their minds um, what we sometimes call antinomianism, which means against the law. It goes something like this, I'm saved by grace, and if I'm saved by grace, it doesn't really matter what I do. And Paul would have never said that. Uh, Paul wanted you to have the proper perspective on the law. But you still, you see this in the New Testament, the law of God is still reverenced, it is still kept. You notice we Christians, we, we kept the Old Testament as part of our sacred scripture. Uh, we, we can see the law differently, or at least pieces of the law differently. Again, um, uh, kosher law, food laws, ceremonial laws, calendar laws, we see all that differently. We as Gentiles don't have to keep those laws, but the moral law uh, was not replaced in Jesus. The moral law still speaks the mind of God to us, and we need to observe the moral law. And Paul very much, like the early Christian community, put sexual moral law in that category of the moral law. And he, he didn't do away with sexual moral law like he did away uh, for Gentiles with ceremonial, religious, civil laws, kosher laws. But somehow, uh, the community rationalized that anything they wanted to do was okay because they were saved by grace. So they're quoting this proverb to Paul, all things are lawful for me. So Paul begins here in chapter 6, verse 12, addressing uh, that concept. He, he throws this slogan back at them. So this is what he says, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, that's the slogan, but not all things are helpful. That's Paul's editorial on that slogan. Then he goes on, he quotes it again, all things are lawful for me, but then his editorial mark is, but I will not be dominated by anything. Uh, nothing is to give us orders in our life except for God in Christ. So um, he's, he's passing in an editorial comments here on this slogan, all things are lawful for me. Uh, all things may be lawful. You might have the right to do all things, but all things are not helpful. You might have the right to do all things, but you should never allow anything but God to dominate your life. Uh, 
Verse 13, we hear Paul now quoting another slogan back to the Corinthians. It was evidently a slogan like the first one that they were quoting in their arguing with Paul. Uh, because they wanted to argue in such a way, they wanted to rationalize in such a way that they could um, uh, discount or ignore their immoral behavior, particularly sexual immoral behavior. So verse 13, we hear another slogan. The Christians there in Corinth were throwing at Paul, and it's this. Verse 13, again in quotation marks, the slogan, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. End of the slogan. Uh, Paul then says, an editorial remark on that slogan, and God will destroy one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what we're looking at here is a New Testament theology of the body. Paul is talking about the proper use of the body. Uh, They're quoting a slogan to him, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um, So what they're seeking to say to Paul would be something like this. Sex is for the body, therefore the body is for sex. So uh, it doesn't really matter what they do with it. Um, But that's why Paul comes back on that slogan and says, but God will destroy both one and the other. And then he says adamantly, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Let me just say a little bit about the the Christian theology of the body. Uh, In the Greco-Roman world, and most of these Corinthians came out of that Greco-Roman pagan world, they viewed the body as um, an encumbrance. They viewed the body as something not as important as the intellect or the will or the spirit. There actually was um, a Greek, another Greek, slogan or proverb that said that the body is a tomb and they just saw the body as something that needed to be overcome. That's not something that Paul and the early Christian community could have adopted or accepted. In the Jewish world, the human being is one. The Jewish world doesn't neatly divide up the human being into body and spirit. We are one. We are one creation. We are united. What we do in the body affects us spiritually. What we do in the spirit affects us bodily. So we can't divide the body up and pretend that what we do with the body doesn't matter, that somehow we can just have recreational uses for our body that doesn't impact us spiritually. Uh, Paul is saying here that the body is not ours to use as we like, using whatever choice we want for the sake of the body. Uh, There's a specific theology of the body in the New Testament. Uh, Paul is really summarizing it here when he says the body is not meant for sexual immorality or any other immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You notice, or you will notice eventually, that uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians, there's a long chapter, chapter 15, that is the longest single account in the New Testament about the resurrection and our resurrection body and what resurrection means for us, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for us and our resurrection. One of the reasons that is the climax of 1 Corinthians is because throughout 1 Corinthians, up to the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul is having to convince those Christians in Corinth that what they do with the body matters. 
Matter matters. What they do with the body matters. Um, it's not that the body is inconsequential to the spirit. What you do with the body matters uh, because um, the body is not just something we will get rid of one day. The body is not just something destined to be destroyed. The body is something destined to be transformed, destined to be glorified. Uh, that's the New Testament concept of resurrection. Uh, in the Apostles' Creed, Whenever it's used, we say we believe in the resurrection of the body. The body is something destined eventually at the end of history to be transformed and glorified as part of God's uh, redeeming work in all of creation. God loves creation, and our body is part of creation. Uh, that's why it matters a great deal what we do with the body. Uh, the church in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, thought that somehow... What they did with the body didn't matter as long as their spirit was right, as long as their soul was right. Paul is adamantly attacking this concept. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He's going to continue on here. There would have been no room in Paul's mind, in the Jewish mind, in the mind of the early Christian community for something like casual sexual relations. Uh, what we do with our body matters, matters supremely. Uh, it's very important. Our body is something that's not destined to be done away with. It's something to be destined for transformation and glorification. God loves creation, and creation is in the process of being redeemed. So it's not just up to us what we do with our body. We don't have control. Uh, we have control over our body, but we don't have the right to dictate the way our body should be used and should not be used. We don't have that kind of radical freedom. Again, Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He's going to continue to explain what he means by this. And keep in mind, again, if this had been a Jewish community in Corinth, he would not have had to be explaining this. But it was a Greco-Roman community. The Greco-Roman world in the first century was very much like the, the modern Western world today, the modern American world today. Uh, there is the prevailing sexual morality around us in our culture. And then there's the sexual morality of the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, that's what Paul was facing when he was taking the gospel of Christ to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And that's the same thing we're facing today. Uh, the world has its own convictions about sexual morality. And the convictions about sexual morality that is cultural is very different from the Jewish Christian way of viewing the body and viewing sexual morality. Uh, particularly in this topic, particularly on this topic of sexual morality, the Christian faith is extremely countercultural uh, in Paul's age and particularly in our age. Now, there have been periods in Christian history where Christian sexual morality was not that countercultural. Uh, the culture around us uh, tended to support the traditional Jewish Christian view of sexual morality. That was not Paul's world. It's not our world. So in some ways, what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth is even more applicable 
to us here in the United States today than it would have been to our grandparents and great-grandparents. So let me begin back with almost a summary statement. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Let's continue. Verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Again, it's this resurrection of the body theology that tells us how significant our body is, how significant what we do in our body is. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Here in the English, it just says never with an exclamation point. The word there in the Greek is actually two words. Is the words are meganoito. That's something Paul said frequently when Paul would say something that he disagreed with, but to make his case, he would lay it out there, and then he'd come back and say, meganoito, never. Perish the thought. May it never be. So Paul says here, shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, that belongs to Christ, and make them members of a prostitute. Meganoito. Never. Perish the thought. Because again, in Jewish Christian theology, what we do with the body always has spiritual implications. What we do with our body is not just um, up to our discretion. Our bodies, like all of our life, belongs to the Lord. And Paul is saying here that if you take your body and unite it with a prostitute, you're doing something spiritual. You're connecting your spirit with the spirit of the prostitute. Now, keep in mind what's going on in Corinth. Corinth was a very metropolitan, cosmopolitan area, city. Uh, It was a um, port city, a very popular, busy port city. So there was commerce going and coming through uh, the port city of Corinth all the time. Uh, There were many temples, pagan temples in Corinth. Uh, There was the temple of Aphrodite that up on the Acre Corinth, and there was perhaps as many as a a thousand temple prostitutes there. So prostitution was common and accepted in uh, the bulk of the ancient world. There were some pockets that had issues with prostitution, but most of the ancient world, Greco-Roman world, did not have issues with prostitution because, again, they valued the mind, the intellect, the spirit, but not the body. They saw the body as something um, inferior to the mind and the intellect and the spirit. So that's why sometimes they could just do recreational things, casual things with their bodies. Again, the Jewish Christian world can never accept that because, again, the Jewish Christian world is adamant that what we do with our body has spiritual implications. Notice what Paul's going to quote now. As he, after he said that if you go and visit a prostitute, that's not something casual. There is nothing we ever do casually with our body. There's spiritual implications. So he says, you know, can I then take the members of Christ, my body, that belong to Christ, and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Meganoito. Perish the thought. Verse 16. Or do you, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
There's the physical linking in the act of fornication. But what's even more important than that in Jewish Christian theology, there's a spiritual linking. Again, never anything just casual, never anything just recreational. Because if you go visit the prostitute, you become one body with her. You unite soul and body and mind and intellect. Because again, in the Jewish Christian way of looking at things, we are all a package deal. We can't just have a physical department that we want to do anything we want to with. And that the reason for that, he's going to quote some, some more scripture here. As soon as he says, do you not know, and he of course believes they should know, but do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, Paul says, and from a Jewish Christian perspective, that is important, what is written and he's going to quote from Genesis chapter 2. He says, For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2 where marriage uh, is instituted, where two people, a man and a woman, uh, come together and the two become one. Uh, they can become one flesh in the linking of sexual intimacy, but they become one in more ways than just the physical linking of, of sexual intimacy. The two become one. The two become one being, one person, one flesh. Uh, what we do physically has spiritual implications, and what we do physically with another human being uh, helps us to unite spiritually with that other human being. So that's why he's saying you can't just go visit a prostitute and think it's something casual, think it's something recreational, because uh, the Jewish-Christian way of looking at the use of the body is this spiritual ramification. The two become one. Verse 17, for he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So we can't go and be spiritually one with the Lord and be spiritually one with the prostitutes up on the Acro Corinth. Uh, what we do with matter matters. What we do with the body matters. So he said all this to remind them of Jewish Christian theology, this theology of the body, uh, how we ought to respect and treat the body, the spiritual implications of what we do with the body. And then he says in verse 18, he offers a command, he offers an imperative, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Uh, the verb flee here is in the present imperative tense, which implies an ongoing uh, act, a habitual act. Flee, continue to flee. Have a lifestyle that's characterized by fleeing from sexual immorality. Uh, he may be remembering the Old Testament story of Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph and Joseph just uh, fleeing, running from her uh, to, to, to make sure nothing sexually immoral happens. So verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from, from porneia, the different ways that the scriptures have said that uh, we can uh, act sexually in an immoral way. Flee from sexual immorality. Then he goes on to say, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Again, he's just almost speaking hyperbolically here, saying that what we do with the body, if we unite that body with someone else, that, that's worse than some sin that we can do that we're not uniting with another person. You know, you know, and you can draw out the implications for that. I mean, if you, uh, if you 
sin by not paying your income tax. Uh, you're not really spiritually uniting with another person. You're not, it's not as idolatrous as uniting with someone uh, that you wouldn't want to unite with, such as the prostitute. Verse 19, and he's going to give us some more theology now to help us understand why it matters what we do with our body. Verse 19, chapter 6, Or do you not know? And again, he's really being a little sarcastic here because they should know. But he says in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You recall it earlier already in 1 Corinthians, he's talked about the church, the people, the community of Jesus Christ is the temple for the Holy Spirit. We're where God dwells. Well, he personalizes it here. He says, You as an individual who are in Christ... Uh, you as an individual, you also are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And, of course, this, again, should help us understand what we do with the body matters. We should provide a good temple, a clean temple, a healthy temple for the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, uh, you know, he's already told you that if you connect with someone sexually you're you're doing a spiritual union with them but he's giving you another spiritual reason here by saying our body is is a temple of the holy spirit the holy spirit dwells within us and that's why we need to be very very particular what we do what we don't do with our body there can never be a casual use of the body a recreational use of the body that doesn't impact us spiritually and then he concludes with something that is very countercultural to our world today he concludes at the end of verse 19 by saying, You are not your own. Now, we, particularly Americans, we like to think we are our own masters. We are the captains of our destiny. We want to be self-made men and women. We think we are our own. And what I do, particularly in our culture, what I do with my body is my business, people think. Um, and people have the right to think that. And that view is growing in our culture. But Paul is saying something that is very core Jewish Christian belief when he says, you are not your own. It's not just your choice, what you do with your body, because you are not your own. Verse 20, he's going to give you the reason for this. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own, so you were bought. The, the, the verb there, the Greek verb that gets translated, were bought, is in the eris, which means it points back to one particular event at one particular point in time. I think, most of us think, that when Paul says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, he's taking us back to the crucifixion of Christ. He's taken us back to Calvary. He's taken us back to, rem to remind us of the tremendous price that was paid for us in our redemption. You were bought with a price, and this price is the gift of God's Son. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's how he summarizes this passage. Glorify God in your body. Because of what we believe about the body, because of what we believe about the spiritual nature of the body, because of what we believe about the spiritual unity 
between body and spirit because of what we believe about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ and invited his spirit in because of the price that's been paid for us our redemption the very life of Jesus Christ the Son of God then we have to glorify God in our body what we do with matter matters creation is important to God and that includes our bodies and Paul's making this case here. As we go into chapter 7, uh, he's going to have a, an extended conversation about marriage. So that's going to be an interesting topic too. Again, thank you for joining us for this time of Bible study. Thank you for your commitment to in-depth Bible study. God bless you.